I'm Dr. Vanessa Sinclair, and this is Rendering Unconscious. Today's episode is a discussion by two of the organizers of the recent phenomenal online conference that happened at the beginning of the summer, The Psychology of Global Crises 2020, which was hosted by the American University of Paris. We have Irene Strasser and Martin Dega from the American University of Cairo and the American University of Paris discussing how to put together an event like this so that other people are encouraged to do something similar and to come together as a community and to think through the issues that we're having today. Since the conference finished, they've gone on to do a number of amazing things, including start their own podcast called Crisis Talk. I have links to all of these things, all of these events, in the text accompanying this episode. And many of the keynote speakers and panels from the conference are all on YouTube as well. So you can check out the YouTube channel and catch up on a lot of the discussions that were had during the Psychology of Global Crises conference. Other co-organizers include Robert Bashara, who's a previous guest on Rendering Unconscious podcast. So I'll put a link to his episode as well so you can check that out. Rendering Unconscious is also a book. Rendering Unconscious, Psychoanalytic Perspectives, Politics, and Poetry. From Chapart Books, 2019. For more, please visit our publisher's website, chapart.net. That's T-R-A-P-A-R-T dot net. You can support the podcast by visiting our Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash V-A-N-E-S-S-A two three C-A-R-L. Your support is greatly appreciated. For more information, you can also visit my website, drvanessasinclair.net, or the podcast main website, renderingunconscious.org. Links to everything can be found in the text accompanying this episode. Hi there. We would like to thank Vanessa Sinclair for inviting us to Rendering Unconscious. I'm Martin Dega. I'm an assistant professor at the American University of Paris. Um, I'm a social and cultural psychologist, also maybe critical psychologist, uh, with a focus on historical texts and the prehistory of psychology as a discipline. So my work is mainly concerned with what Serge Moscovici would probably term psychological explanations of social phenomena. And I'm Irene Strasser. I'm assistant professor at the American University in Cairo. Um, I'm a developmental psychologist and um, my research is on aging and adult development and is informed by critical gerontology, social justice studies and the feminist perspective on development. Um, we want to talk to you today a little bit about 
a conference that we organized relatively recently. Um, the title of the conference was The Psychology of Global Crises, State Surveillance, Solidarity and Everyday Life. And the conference took place from May 20 to May 30 earlier this year and was hosted by the American University of Paris. And um, I think at the time we were planning um, this conference, there was a lot of discussions already of conferences shifting from face-to-face -to, -face to online or being postponed to next year. And I think uh, one of the unique things um, related to our conference is that it was planned as a fully virtual conference from the beginning. Right. So essentially, we realized um, at one point towards the end of the academic year, the American academic year, um, that there is a form of gap that suddenly opens up because normally what we academics, many of us do is we finish up the semester and then we attend a conference towards uh, the end of May, beginning of June. And we thought, okay, so this is not going to happen. The world uh, was back then and now still is uh, to a large extent in lockdown mode. Uh, traveling to conferences is not possible. Uh, yet we have learned things from teaching online. So maybe we can bring those two things together and organize this entire thing into a conference. Um, our approach was to quickly bring together a team of organizers, a total of 14. We had Zachary Beckstead from Brigham Young University in Hawaii, Robert Bejara from the Northern New Mexico College, and Nicholas Kimmery from the Roskilde University in Denmark, Caroline Denmark, also from Denmark in Arbor. Yas Igarashi, um, Yamano College of Aesthetics in Japan, Antonia Larrain, Universidad Alberto Hurtado in Chile, Pina Marsico from University of Salerno in Italy, Athanasios Mavakis from Aristotle University in Greece, Maria Nedved from the American University of Paris, Ernst Trauber from Roskilde University in Denmark, Fu Wai from Shuyan University in Hong Kong, and Maike Watzlawick from Sigmund Freud University in Berlin, Germany. And actually, um, we started thinking about this conference, I think, in the beginning of April only, right? So we had very little time to actually plan it and uh, figure everything out. Yeah, so the feedback from most of the co-organizers when we asked them about the conference uh, was, did you make a mistake with the date? You mean 2021? We said, no, it's actually 2020 and we want to put it together relatively quickly, etc., etc., um, so after an initial phase of disbelief, people realized, well, maybe we can do this. And we got some support, uh, substantial support from the American University of Paris. We'll talk about that a little bit later. And also from uh, two um, professional organizations. One is Amical. Which is a network of the American colleges abroad and tries to connect uh, people at very many different uh, colleges and universities um, around the world. And the other professional organization was ISTP, the International Society for Theoretical Psychology. I guess the support from that end makes sense given the, the topic of uh, our conference. We want to talk to you today a little bit about how to organize a conference during the COVID-19 crisis, or at least how we organized a conference during the COVID-19 crisis. Just to give you a few 
numbers, because numbers sometimes make it easy, sometimes hard, to imagine what was going on. We started out organizing this conference literally from our desks, our desks that we worked on every day, um, that happened to be placed in the same room uh, right next to each other, sending out emails with the regular kind of tools uh, that you have. And from there, we built within weeks um, a conference with more than 60 keynote speakers, uh, more than 90 panelists, over 2,500 participants. Our YouTube channel got over 13,000 views by now. Um, in order to show you how this conference emerged, we want to talk about a couple of things. Um, we want to talk about who participated in the conference. We want to talk a little bit about the technology that we used in order to set it up, just to give you an idea what kind of tools we used. And we want to, of course, tell you about the content, uh, the primary motivation of this conference, a little bit about what came out of it and where we want to take this afterwards. Uh, the entire conference was online and virtual, and people could obviously, uh, given a sufficient internet connection, participate from wherever they wanted to. And this is basically what we, uh, where we started from. Like This is a virtual conference, participate from wherever you are, which uh, comes with questions of like time and different time zones on how to organize that. And also um, accessibility. So how can we make sure everybody who actually would like to participate also um, can do so? Part and parcel, I think, also of this podcast that we're doing today here is to say it's doable. Mm -hmm. And it can be done by more or less everyone. So one way of approaching a conference, um, if you have ever organized one, you might know this, uh, is that you get some professional help. Mm -hmm. There are agencies out there that you can pay in order to organize your conferences. And there is also agencies by now, obviously, out there that start to specialize on online conferences. And we did some research in the beginning and we quickly realized they're not there yet. They don't quite know how to do it yet. And still they charge uh, um, the obvious fees that come with it. So for us, we quickly realized, we quickly decided that it will be easier for us to use the tools that we already know. Because in a second step, we looked at tools that provide packages for conferences, like registration, scheduling, things like that. But we realized that not only some of them are quite pricey, but also we would have to learn an entire new application platform. And that's what we couldn't uh, do because we didn't have a lot of time. So we quickly ended up with saying, uh, we need to use the tool we already know. And this comes with the advantage that everybody else also will have um, some experience already, um, at least with one or the other platform for online conferencing, webinars, and things like that. So essentially what we ended up with was Zoom and GoToWebinar as our online meeting grounds, if you want to. So another version, another Possibility would have been maybe Microsoft Teams, etc. But essentially, uh, those are the tools out there in the market. Zoom certainly dominating. 
go-to webinar we used uh, as well, and we'll explain a little bit later why we needed it. We used Slack. If you have never heard of Slack, Slack is essentially, if you want to, a team management app and functions pretty much like a large online chat room. We use TeamUp, another app that you might not have heard, but that's simply an online uh, calendar management tools, quite similar to Google Calendar or other calendars you might use. YouTube, obviously, and at least um, uh, during the early phases of the conference, we did lots of troubleshooting back and forth, and also all the coordination with the keynote speakers, obviously, was handled through regular email. There is one more app that we used uh, that is maybe not necessarily on the list of everyday apps uh, that everyone knows, which is called MailChimp. MailChimp uh, allowed us to register all the people that participated in the conference and also to send out emails to everyone um, and target specific groups with specific news. Again, very, very simple tool, easy to learn. We mentioned in the very beginning here that we used uh, Zoom and GoToWebinar, which are both webinar tools. Um, and we ended up with this combination because um, the initial idea was uh, probably nobody has ever done a conference like this so far because we were still like at the beginning of the COVID crisis and of the lockdowns. Um, so we can also say there is no precedence for conferences like this and we can come up with ideas. How can we use this new format uh, of doing conferences uh, to encourage participants and um, panelists to be creative, use media, um, experiment with time and space uh, in terms of how to provide the content. So we decided we want to um, leave it open to the panelists and the keynote speakers, whether they would like to deliver their talk synchronously or asynchronously. So this is what we um, communicated from the beginning, that they could either record their talk um, and it will be live streamed and then there will be a Q&A session afterwards, or they can do it synchronously, so um, give their talk um, live. And this is why we ended up with Zoom for the live talks and the Q&A sessions and go to webinar, which provides with the feature that you can live stream a pre-recorded talk. Yeah, so essentially what we were looking for was the good old, if you want to, TV function, yeah. right? You turn on your TV exactly. and at a particular point in time, a movie starts and at exactly. a particular point in time, it's over. And it turned out that this is actually not as easy to get. So we ended up with GoToWebinar so that we could show a recording to everyone and then switch over to a live session uh, for the discussion of that particular presentation. And um, you can see already now, maybe uh, if you listen to us and, and listen to the kinds of tools that we use, a general philosophy that we had behind the design of this conference. What we wanted to achieve was to say, not simply um, have um, a not so good version of a face-to-face -face meeting online, mm -hmm. but also not to completely reinvent the wheel if you want to. Uh, we were driven by the idea to say, we have to take this traditional conference format and push it, push it a little bit, because we need everyone who participates to still be able to recognize the conference in there and to live with, if you want to, those tiny variations 
uh, that they encounter instead of saying I don't know what's going on here this is so weird this is all new saying ah okay I quickly understand it's a little bit different so one of the early decisions was we don't have any problems with booking rooms we don't have any problems with hotel nights so let's stretch it out instead of having parallel sessions let's stretch out the conference over 10 days right and that worked I think by now I'd say it worked beautifully. We had 10 intense days of mostly sessions not running parallel, uh, running consecutively um, with 64 keynote speakers, 63, 64, uh, lined up uh, who gave their talks. And it was interesting because this is what actually a lot of people would ask um, during the preparation phase of the conference. Well, is this a type of, is this like seriously an 11-day conference? And the further we got into the days and the conference days, people would say, actually, this is really great that it, this is um, a conference that lasts for 11 days because it gives us some time to think and rethink and discuss and um, relax in between and then um, continue our discussion. So, uh, yeah. yeah. So this, indeed, one of the maybe... Very, very interesting outcomes here is that we had towards the end of the conference some keynote speakers who had effectively rewritten their mm -hmm. presentations on the basis of the talks they had heard so far. So we had really, we had an, even though we never met face to face, even though, and this is the typical kind of sentiment, Uh, the real discussions at conferences happen over dinner, happen during the breaks. We didn't have a dinner. We didn't have breaks. We had talks, 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 talks all the time. And even though this was the case, we had this development. We could see the development in the talks. The focus was purely on the academic discussions, if you want to. And that came from both sides. Um, keynote speaker and panelists would refer to um, previous talks But also the participants who sent in their questions, we're going to talk about this in a moment, um, would also refer to other discussions and other talks during a conference. So it was some kind of this dynamic and, and um, discussions throughout the conference. Yeah. Zoom. So as, as I said before, we used Zoom as our interaction platform. We also live streamed to YouTube, but Zoom was kind of the... Um, meeting room where we came together. We used the special version of Zoom. It's an upgrade from the regular version, which is called Zoom Webinar. You might have seen that if you have participated in a webinar. The setup is basically this, the same with the exception that there are panelists and panelists can be seen, can share their screen, can talk, and then there are attendees. And attendees can basically listen, chat, and send in written questions. They can also be allowed to talk, but mostly it's a Q&A where they send in questions. Uh, now, the way we set it up was we had, and you can see this if you go to our YouTube channel, uh, we had the keynote presenter and we had a moderator, a discussant for uh, the session. And the discussant essentially was there to get the conversation going after the talk to introduce the speaker but then get the conversation going after the talk the way in which we organized this conversation was that the discussant would read the questions out that the attendees would send in now why did we do this very simple something that we learned um, from our online teaching from before namely that one of the difficult things in online teaching in online conversation mm -hmm 
in online meetings is turn-taking. So by bringing in the questions in written form, we avoided the issue of uh, online turn-taking that can take away quite a substantial amount of not only time, but also focus on discussing the actual ideas. And also pro like explaining the rules and regulations or how do we do that, raise hand tools, actually raise hands or just say something. So, um, yeah, we... we I think that's what that was really a very important aspect or idea from the beginning. We wanted it to, we want wanted to keep it as simple as possible. Yeah. So that's the tech setup. Seven tools, and we ran that basically from two 4G routers with a, rel a relatively unstable internet connection. So you don't need super awesome internet for that either. I just wanted to quickly mention TeamUp again, because for me, it was one of the really interesting tools in terms of, as I mentioned before, we couldn't have like a daily chat amongst us um, organizers because the time zones were so uh, different. So we really relied on uh, good collaboration tools and the TeamUp uh, calendar or scheduling tool um, allows for just um, a lot of people putting their availabilities or then the panelists and keynote speakers availabilities or the, I think we haven't mentioned our student volunteers um, who were really, really important for this conference, um, particularly for the panels. Um, they couldn't have happened, the panels, without them. So also their uh, availabilities. And we ended up having the, the team-up um, tool also as our schedule we put uh, on the web page because that was also something... Um, we figured out very early that not only space is different at this conference, but also time in terms of we cannot just communicate or like put on a, a regular web page at what time a keynote talk will um, happen because the time zones are different for everyone else. So um, we needed to find a tool, uh, and that was uh, team up um, that. Um, allowed for automatically adjusting for time zones and that's why we not only used it for collaborating and um, putting their availabilities and scheduling but also um, to put it on the website for like the conference schedule basically yeah so the team up uh, um, website you can just set up a calendar and then it offers easy HTML snippets that you can add to whatever website. So you don't need to know how HTML, you don't need to be able to program or whatever. And then simply whoever um, or from what place ever you go on this particular website, you will see the times in your local time zone. So at the beginning of the conference or even before the conference, also during the conference, uh, that led to some funny email exchanges where people emailed us and said, does the talk by so-and-so start at two o'clock? Uh, to which we always had to reply, we don't know because <laughs> we don't know what time zone you're in. But check the website, it will tell you. And it really just worked beautifully, I have to say. So team up, yes, is definitely one of the great discoveries that, that we had on the technology end. Okay. We talked a lot about technology and I mean, if you have more questions about this, if you want to do something similar and want to talk to us about the technology end of things, 
um, you can always just email us. We're happy to uh, chat with you about this. Let's talk a little bit more about, because the motivation of this conference, the, the original motivation was not to say, let's try out some more technology <laughs> after uh, a semester of already trying out so and so many things, uh, more or less forced, because we are both, I think it's true for, for both of us, uh, very much focused on liberal arts teaching that for us happens not necessarily in the classroom, but in and with a group of people uh, in some form of physical presence. So, um, yeah, it was uh, um, uh, also for us, um, we had to bridge something there in order to Uh, start out um, organizing an online event. And, and I think that's probably also true for both of us. We happen to bring whatever happens around us or the students or on a societal level into the classroom and connected with theory. So that's obviously what we did a lot already during the semester to talk about the COVID crisis in relation to social psychology, developmental psychology and concepts and theories, things like that. And if you're a psychologist and you talk about crisis and you talk about global crises, you always also automatically talk about personal crises mm. and suddenly then there are crises everywhere. And I think it's very true. If we look at the past years, we'll see this label, something being labeled as a crisis everywhere. We see it right now again in the United States and also in other countries beyond COVID-19. And that's something that also came up during the conference then. And so I think our initial question here was to say maybe crisis is not so much an individualized phenomenon anymore that somehow hits every now and then if uh, there is a catastrophe happening somewhere. But we're sort of in a perpetual movement uh, throughout uh, the last decades, maybe even longer. And if mm -hmm. we look at psychology as a discipline, maybe from the beginnings of this very discipline, where we describe one or the other state as a certain form of crisis. And so we said, let's talk about this. Let's find out what we psychologists, social theorists, social scientists have to say about crisis. And uh, so I, we wrote a quick uh, description for this conference, which I think we wrote like in 20 minutes, something I like that, which is so. spit it on it paper. It was all like very uh, under a lot of time pressure. <laughs> so, so let's just let us just share this with yeah. you. Okay, this, this is the initial idea. The current global COVID-19 crisis is unprecedented in many ways. Yet, crisis as a phenomenon is everything but new. In the past years, we have been in the middle of the so-called refugee crisis, the European sovereign debt crisis, the subprime mortgage crisis, and the 2007-8 global financial crisis. Some attest to more general crisis of liberal democracy, an eventual crisis of capitalism, or a population change crisis. Climate change is typically identified as a central factor in the emergence of future global crises. Beyond economically driven crises, we experience crises on the social and cultural levels. The Occupy movement, hashtag MeToo, Black Lives Matter, Cambridge Analytica, the global surveillance disclosures, etc. On a smaller scale, we witness crises of various academic disciplines, famous among them perhaps the replication crisis in psychology. 
Some go further and argue that the social sciences are in a state of perpetual crisis, at least since the beginnings of the 20th century. Last not least, psychologists identify and treat crises on an individual level, loss of workplace, loneliness, depression. Every crisis phenomenon maps its territory and calls for its experts and expert discourses, measures and publicly communicated courses of action. So um, we continued back then to say, sparked by current developments, and these developments are still ongoing, the theme of this conference is crisis in all its varieties. Who's speaking to the current crisis and with what advice? Which voices are heard? What can the social sciences contribute to understand crisis, the current global situation and expectations for the future? How can we critically examine the concept of crisis? Who defines a situation as a crisis? Who benefits from and who is negatively affected by crises? How do crises change local communities? How do they affect the individual agency and the relationship of citizens to one another? Those were the questions that we laid out back then. And I think other questions have uh, have been added during the conference and mm -hmm. we can't go into the deepest details here. The uh, talks are all available on YouTube, but I think there are certain general tendencies that, that came out of the conference that are very interesting and maybe worthwhile sharing. Um, the first one among these was that in the very beginnings, even before the conference, that, but then also um, in uh, some of the first meetings, Discussions came up, and this was when we organized uh, hangouts, that's what we called it for keynote speakers. Discussions came up uh, of people saying, can we actually already say something? Some said, I can't say anything because I don't have data yet. Mm. Uh, others said, we don't know where this goes. We have to have like a sort of historical lens on this. We can only really talk about it once it's over and uh, some of the people one person in particular that I that I invited would have had would have loved to have at the conference uh, said that uh, he couldn't participate precisely because of that because it, we're in the middle of it so there's nothing to say for a person who wants to analyze it because for it whatever it is it is to be analyzed it needs to be over um, but then this discussion quickly developed into an understanding of us, whoever that us is, in research as um, social scientists, social theorists. And so as social scientists, social theorists, we need to be able to respond to what's going on in the social world, right? And I think this, is, this was a stage setter from which really uh, our discussions took off and, and people realized this is the moment where we can say stuff, we can, where we can come together and theorize about what's going on uh, in the world right now. And I think this was one of the very interesting points that, um, as you mentioned before, a lot of like individual speakers said, I don't have data, I didn't collect any data and we don't have like some really elaborate ideas about it, but we could exactly come together and we have actually, we have to say something if we want to make a difference and if we want to find out how to deal with it. And it also quickly became clear that there's 
most likely know once this is over, we can look back and try to figure out what happened and how to understand this. Because there might not be like a very uh, easy back to normalcy. And uh, I thought that's that, that was one of the really, um, yeah, probably most prominent and pressing topics, like the going back to normalcy and also the the um, challenging this um, unprecedented moment in time or the unprecedented crisis. So for whom is it unprecedented? And there was also a lot of there was also a lot of talks who would uh, relate to this and look back at other different moments in times, whether were crises and lockdowns and um, also viruses. Mm-hmm. So. Um we first pluralized the conversation. I think I think that's a, that's a good way of thinking about it. Saying, yeah, there are constantly crises everywhere, all over the place, and um, the current COVID nineteen crisis is maybe unprecedented for a person living in Berlin, but uh, not necessarily unprecedented uh, to that extent for someone who lives in sub-Saharan Africa, for example. Um, or in South America, uh, particular regions, uh, for that matter. And so, so we collected some very pessimistic voices about how this might develop in the future, but also some optimistic voices, some who hoped for this to be some form of a cathartic mm-hmm. experience uh, for some of us, of a new start, etc., etc. And some who said, maybe we haven't hit rock bottom. And... Yet others who said, and we alluded to this before already, maybe crisis is a weird way of approaching this. Maybe what we're facing here is uh, a certain form of clarity about the fact that we are, in effect, uncertain Mm -hmm. about most of the development of the future. We are uncertain uh, at every given point in time, and just now this uncertainty is displayed to us uh, in a very strong sense. Um, yeah. Yeah, so it was not so much about what can we learn from this crisis, it was really more does this uncertainty lead to us challenging the ways we deal with politics and society or climate, for example, right? Is this a moment in time where we can actually change something in the way uh, we deal with these issues? And then during the conference, something else happened. If you go back and compare the dates, uh, you'll quickly see the overlap in the middle of the COVID-19 crisis. uh, George Floyd was murdered, uh, which led to uh, protests against police violence first in the United States and then pretty much all over in the Western world, I think is fair to say. And so this discussion added another layer and it became ever clearer. And maybe that's, and this is our, I mean, this can be argued, but. Uh, I think one of the central themes, at least of the conference, then was uh, concepts of decolonizing psychology, right? Think through psychology uh, in particular, the social sciences in general, as an inherently Western story. And how can we go beyond this inherently Western story? 
um, and do more than just say, okay, so let's read a female philosopher every now and then. Let's look at data from another country. Um, yeah, so the writings of Achim Bembe uh, um, played an important role in many, many talks, uh, was quoted often, and um, this also led to a discussion of this fantasy of a return to normalcy, which we quickly abandoned. And in many ways, that was liberating also because it opened up developmental space. And I think for me personally also, it was also very humbling because we could kind of position this collected, uh, this um, coming together of uh very many prominent people in their fields and their collected knowledge versus an entire body of things happening out there in the world that is not captured by that tradition of thought. So if you want to learn more about this, I think the best way is to listen to the talks again on YouTube and then some other things that we're working on. And I think that kind of leads us to... Um, what we can say so far, what we have learned from yeah. this experience. I think we we mentioned some aspects already, but we, I think we should try to summarize it a bit. What what we have learned from this um, entire conference endeavor in terms of technology, but also content. And I think one, um, we've mentioned that, but one really important aspect was to think about how can we make this conference, due to its new format, more accessible than the regular face-to-face -face conferences in academia are um, usually? So in terms of time zones, how can we, um, how can we announce the talks? Um, but also in terms of... Um, how can we make sure everybody can participate at the talks? And this was what we ended up YouTube. I think using YouTube, I think we did mention that. So um, everybody could, everybody who could not actively participate in the Zoom uh, webinars could just watch it um, afterwards. Um, but also in terms of, I think we haven't mentioned that we planned this conference uh, not to have any registration fees. So actually, we tried to make the entire registration process um, as easy and as simple as possible. We did not request a lot of data from um, people registering other than email address, name, and some kind of affiliation, because we thought this might be a conference that's also not only interesting for colleagues in academia, but also probably for many um, other people who are interested in this topic um, and also particularly students um, and um, so we ended up having like a very easy registration tool on our web page uh, and would send out the program the schedule the links to the talks uh, via email that is not to say that we lift the open access fantasy of like if you make it out there and make it open and available everyone can learn no. something from it that was not uh, what we had in mind here but i think we significantly increased uh, the number of people who are able to access the material compared to the very restricted 
conferences, traditional conferences that take yeah. place at a particular point in time in a particular location and cost something between 300 and these days 800 euros. Uh, dollars, euros, registration fees. And also requires visa processes for a lot of people out there. Um, beyond that, I think it's maybe also we, we're stepping a little bit further into uh, the sustainability of what's going on so that everyone is available on YouTube. And we want to also work on this a little bit further because we are also aware that a video somewhere on YouTube doesn't necessarily mean that it's easily accessible. Okay, what did we learn in terms of international collaboration? Well, again, uh, interestingly, it works that people give a talk in New Zealand and people in the United States get up at two o'clock in the morning um, in order to see, hear, contribute, discuss mm -hmm. this talk. Um, we move together, even if this is like a maybe overstretched metaphor, but for a moment in time there, uh, from wherever we came, we moved closer together. And we had, we, we just mentioned this, we had participants at this conference who would have not been able to attend this conference had it taken place in one of the typical locations for, as Irene just said, visa restrictions, etc. We also, I guess, learned that we we mentioned that the turn-taking is sometimes challenging, but we also learned that it's it's possible to have like a room full of uh, virtual room full of twenty-five people discussing the talks, discussing the topic with each other, uh, and also to get to know people to connect and uh, discuss topics and also to relate to our teaching. I think you, I mean, you mentioned before we're both at liberal arts, um, in liberal arts education. So um, it's always also about thinking um, about how is our research and our teaching connected and how can we bring things we do in our scholarly life back to the classroom. And so I think maybe one of the overall conclusions of this uh, is um, it's possible in 2020. Yeah. You can do this. You know, everyone can do this with a limited budget, with existing tools, etc. And I think this is also a way to move forward. Not This is not to say that we should have only online conferences, but it is easily possible to live stream and this has happened before but I think it can happen uh, more frequently and in a better way it is easily possible to live stream talks at conferences on the web and at the same time bring people from the web with their questions into those live discussions it can be done mm -hmm. and um, yeah we, we're convinced that we will see this more uh, in the future. And I, I think what we also all probably learned uh, during the past few months is that there is probably no need to be afraid of all the flaws and like internet con connectivity issues and what can happen when we are in online meetings or giving a, a talk live. Um, because we all used that something small goes wrong or like somebody freezes, but we know it will continue it's not a big issue. We can deal with it. Okay. Um, let's round this up. 
Um, so we talked about this conference that took place uh, partially, of course, to advertise it and say, go on YouTube and uh, watch the talks because they are really interesting. But also because we want to continue with this. Um, now, don't worry, we're not going to organize uh, the PGC <laughs> 2021. That's not going to happen. We're not organizing another conference. But of course, we... Uh, do first of all maybe the more traditional things even though not necessarily in a hundred percent traditional format uh, we're publishing stuff so one of the first things that's going to come out is a special issue of the Springer journal human arenas very very soon and then there are three more books right now in the making but beyond that uh, as we said before we want to keep the discussion going also uh, on a maybe less traditional uh, format or more interactive uh, format that um, takes into account the technological possibilities, the technology possibilities that we have these days. But we're also working on a podcast series. We're curating the talks for audio podcasts um, and um, would like to bring in some more uh, interviews and discussions we also integrate in those podcasts to really keep the discussion up. Um, and uh, the first three episodes actually are already up on Apple Podcasts. Um, and you could also, if you're interested, check out our webpage crisistalk.net. Where we will collect more material in the future. And also you can uh, subscribe to our newsletter that yeah. will come only once a month. Don't worry about it. <laughs> We're not going to spam you. Um, with ideas and projects uh, that we are working on. Okay, well, that's pretty much the roundup, I'd say. Thank you for listening. And, uh, and tune in to our podcast episodes on Apple Podcasts. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Rendering Unconscious. You've just heard a discussion between Martin Dega and Irene Strasser. For more, please visit their podcast, Crisis Talk, and check out the keynotes and panels from their recent conference, The Psychology of Global Crisis. Links to all of these things are in the text that accompanies this episode. Rendering Unconscious is also a book. Rendering Unconscious, Psychoanalytic Perspectives, Politics, and Poetry. From Chapart Books, 2019. For more, please visit our publisher's website, chapart.net. That's T-R-A-P-A-R-T dot net. You can support the podcast by visiting our Patreon, p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash v-a-n-e-s-s-a two three c-a-r-l your support is greatly appreciated for more information you can also visit my website drvanessasinclair.net or the podcast main website renderingunconscious.org 
Links to everything can be found in the text accompanying this episode. Churches, it is present present throughout, throughout. muscles, Muscles, bones, bones. in a body body are free. free. Southern Southern Belle, they're stuffed, stuffed. there's someone someone I, I, produced produced by by and for, doctor's Doctor's appointment, appointment. are metamorphosis. metamorphosis. Surrealism. What are you what doing, are you doing here? here? And comfort. And comfort. Let's, Let's apply, apply in future, future whatsoever. whatsoever. We all we die. die. And, and brought, brought on another. Charles, Charles both once said. said and submission. submission. Even even in the beating, beating, as well as the one one they hugged. hugged.